again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast, episode number 121. I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com. As you can tell, uh, much closer to 100% healthy this week than last week. Joining me is my uh, partner in crime up in Tallahassee, David Rowe. How are you this week? Uh, like you, I am on the mend a bit. You can't tell because, uh, you know, it's hard to see a cracked ribbed, uh, you know, especially over the radio. But uh, I can tell you that if I cough, I don't double over in excruciating pain anymore. So, hey, progress. That is good. We're not on the radio, Dave. This is a podcast. You know what? <laughs> Give me my fantasies, man. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am uh, much more able to speak this week, which is good. Um, sinus infection is uh, is being battled by uh, a good dose of antibiotics, and I am ready to go to talk about win number three on the bounce, David Rowe. We have win three in a row, a 2-0 victory over the Philadelphia Union on the road. Previously, Philadelphia had not lost at home this season, only uh, just 1-0-2 on the season at home prior to that game. But in MLS, you have to take every game on the road as very serious, no matter what your opponent you know, is shaping up to be for the course of the year. And you cannot take any road point for granted. And especially with the start Orlando City had, you can't really take any point for granted. And it was nice to get above the 500 mark uh, with a surprise win on the road, especially the way that the Union came out really flying early. That was a big three points. Like you say, you know, with the the slow start that Orlando had, we were getting comments and complaints and worried, furrowed brows. So having uh, three points in Philadelphia is outstanding, especially how the Lions went about it. Mm-hmm. Came out in the four-two-three-one again this time. Um, no Scott Sutter is uh, nursing an injury day-to-day is his status. In fact, still has not returned to daily training. We'll talk a little bit more about the injury situation later. R.J. Allen getting the start at right back. And uh, in the 18, welcome, Yuri Rossell. Uh, welcome to a, a team sheet. Um, <laughs> did not see time in the game, but it was nice to just know that he's actually on the team. One step closer to <laughs> having him out on having having that another beard out on the field. That's right, and uh, you know the interesting thing, or, uh, Orlando with not the shortest of week. I mean, they they played Sunday then Friday, but uh, Jason Christ decided to reward the energy guys from the Portland win and got them the start at Philadelphia with uh, Chris Mueller on the right and Stefano Pino on the left in the attacking midfield, moving Merrim and Coleman to the bench with uh, Dom up top, Sasha there as well. Will Johnson and Yoshi Otun started in the defensive midfield, but early on in the game, RJ Allen uh, getting forward, uh, pulled up with a, an apparent hamstring injury. They're calling it the lower body injury. Uh, which could be anything <laughs> below the waist. It's a lower body injury, but that's kind of code for it's usually a quad, a hamstring, a calf, um, you know, a groin strain. Usually those are the lower body injuries that they talk about. And uh, so one of those varieties probably uh, in the upper leg uh, area for RJ Allen, he had to go out 
And uh, they had Donnie Toya looking like he was ready to come in. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of shifting gears and Krishna Gita comes on. And you're like, well, he's not a right back. Um, <laughs> and uh, because Will Johnson moved to right back and uh, Christian took over in the center of the park with Yoshi next to him. And honestly, Dave, from that point on, uh, David Akam, not much of a problem the rest of the night. David Akam and CJ Sapong have had great success against Orlando City had to be licking their lips uh you know when they saw that on the schedule and they came out flying like I said but the fact of the matter is other than a couple early Akam attempts once that change was made uh he was pretty quiet yeah Christian came on and did a absolutely probably the best performance we've seen from him in Orlando or at least that I can remember um I'm not surprised with the move, as we've spoken about before. Johnson is very versatile. Uh, I'm sure Jason wanted to keep him on the field, uh, get Christian in there, and that allowed him to do it. Evidently, Christian has been fantastic in practice, uh, which allowed Jason the confidence to put him out there. Mm -hmm. As you said, when we talked about the key matchups, one of the things that I said was containing Sapong and Akam. And once Higita was out there, that's exactly what happened, just like you said. So it was a move that when it happens, who know, as, as you're watching it, you, you're not sure, okay, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is he going to get a yellow three seconds in? Because <laughs> that's what we've been used to before. But no yellows. And outstanding defensive play from uh, Christian, and it was it was a very impressive performance. Very mature performance, I would say, from Christian Aguita. Uh, I, I'm I'm on board with you. I think that might have been his best game uh, as a Lion in his time in Orlando. And I, I think maybe I mean you always want to you get that good outing, and you always want to say, well, maybe he's turned the corner. But, you know, show me that two or three more times in a row and let's mm -hmm. let's, uh, you know, let's get on with it and, and take that next step in your evolution and become that player that that uh, Orlando City coveted uh, so dearly uh, before, you know, the first kick of uh, of the ball in MLS for the team, uh, because we know he's got the talent. We know he has the tools to be a, a really great number six. He just hasn't shown the maturity. He hasn't shown the um you know, the sort of the understanding of playing within himself. Uh, I mean, everything about him was good uh, this past week. I mean, his passing was phenomenal. He didn't try to do too much with the ball. He didn't fumble the ball around in his feet. He got it out of there uh, when it, when under pressure. He didn't take the extra touch and, and try to make some fancy turn and lose the ball and then, you know, look up at the ref like, oh, why didn't you call a foul there? He, you know, we've seen all of that from him before. We did not see that from him. On Friday night, and it was really a, a, a tremendous performance. Um, you know, he was probably among the two or three guys that I thought were man of the match worthy. Uh, another one of those guys would be the guy who made those early stops, and that's uh, Joe Bendick, who had, um, again, his best game of the season to date. We saw him make a couple of very crucial saves, getting his hand on a couple of crosses that may have otherwise been tap-ins. Um, but I thought that the defense did mostly a good job of keeping the shots 
either outside the box or out wide for the most part. Akam got in at, at a decent angle a couple times, but um, you know he's got the speed to do that, to turn that corner and, and head toward goal. So that's not a surprise. I didn't think Sapong was especially dangerous in the game. Um, he had one or two looks, but nothing, you know, I didn't think, I thought they did a pretty good job on him. And I think that brings the third guy to mind in the game that was outstanding is uh, Lamine Sané. I thought Sané and uh, Tyrek playing in, in place of the injured uh, Jonathan Spector uh, did a fantastic job in the center back pairing. Yes, that was the Joe that we were used to that we hadn't seen yet this season. So I'm glad that he decided to come back because <laughs> it made a big difference. I think that the, like you said, the center backs uh, were able to get things wide. There wasn't a lot that came up the middle. They cut down the angles for Joe, which of course makes his job easier with Christian in there, not fouling and making good decisions and good passes. Everything came together in that uh, back third that allowed the clean sheet. Uh, it was a total defensive team effort from goalie on up. And of course, with the offense getting goals, that gives them breathing room and confidence to to do the job that they did that night. And, of course, you can't have the win without scoring some goals on your own. And early on, it looked like, man, what is going on? Another That's at least three this year. Another would-be goal cleared off the line early uh, by the Philadelphia defense. Andre Blake beaten. I uh, believe it was Pino with the shot. I think live I couldn't really tell on the replay. It looked like it might have been Tarek. But I think uh, it, was, uh, it was in the aftermath of a short corner, I believe, and uh, an opportunity there for, I believe it was Pino who put it on frame, beat uh, Blake, but uh, it was knocked off the line by Jack Elliott. And it's just, oh my God, here we go again. These teams that we're playing are making these unbelievable, you know, saving plays left and right. But uh, not to worry because Dom Dwyer scores when he wants, as you know, Dave. And uh, I do know. A fantastic uh, little scoop chip pass from Sasha Kleschen and. Uh, a well-timed run from Dom, who was kept on side by the uh, left back, whose uh, his name's escaping me at the moment, um, Matthew Real. And uh, he uh, got in, and he beat Blake cleanly and made it 1-0. And uh, he didn't do his flip, which uh, is it's okay. He doesn't have to do his flip every time. You know, save that flip for special moments. Sure. Um, but uh, he put the team ahead with his fourth goal, Dave, in three games. He played 12 games last year for the club and scored four goals. So uh, he's on a little bit better pace this year. Dom definitely <laughs> is feeling it right now. The he, he did a little hop to get back on side. And then when Sasha put that ball very nicely, he made his he made his run. The I've never seen the back trap that he's used. Uh, that he used uh, before, but it was effective to get the ball down. Uh, and then he got it on his right foot. And that was all she wrote. Like you said, when he scores when he wants. So uh, that changed uh, the dynamic, especially given that the defense was doing so well. Like you said, we can do without the backflip. I kind of, uh, I kind of like the, uh, the little stroke the chin, uh, give the fans a look, 
yeah. uh, thing. It was thinking it was, face emoji is what that was. Yeah, yeah, it was that was that was pretty good. <laughs> I uh, I liked it. Now, of course, there there was uh, some some controversy about that goal, but uh, that that may be for a talk for a little bit later. So the you know the Lions were not done. They were not done. There was absolutely nothing done about the Lions in the first half. They decided to score another one. Uh, Chris Mueller, with a great individual effort, dribbled uh, up to the top of the box, lost the ball a little bit, and then uh, took it back from Jack Elliott. He said, <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'll take that, pokes it behind Elliott, and then poked it behind uh, Andre Blake into the lower left corner of the net, made it 2 nothing. two goals in two games for the rookie, Dave, and he really was, again, an engine room for the uh, for Orlando City. I am thoroughly impressed and glad that Mueller is doing exactly what I hoped it, he would do, which is bring that energy and that determination to the offense, and he's being rewarded for it by getting those goals. Like you said, he lost that ball uh, once he got in the box, but he didn't give up on it. And that just determination allowed him to get it back and get that goal. Of course, once he did, uh, everybody is looking for that knee slide. Well, Mueller was having nothing of that. He decided <laughs> that he wanted to uh, do a little uh, Cristiano instead and uh, did that little jump arms down thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's funny if you somebody online did a side-by-side where uh, Ronaldo does that, and then you, and Mueller is doing it at exactly the same time, and then a teammate comes up and you know hugs him, and it's almost exactly the same shot. It's absolutely hilarious. Now, let's be clear: I don't think that Chris Mueller thinks that he's Ronaldo. So, don't anybody go thinking that the kid's getting a full head. No, I no. think he's just. I think he's enjoying himself, and if he wants to, if he wants to go out and have fun like that and celebrate after a goal, I'm all for it as long as the goals keep coming. Yeah, he does. He's just a, a kid that's emulating uh, someone that he looks up to, and and you know, much like you see basketball stars, uh, young basketball stars emulating, uh, you know, the LeBron James. Uh, celebration that's uh that's kind of how he was doing it and then he he threw in a little bit of himself there he, he did the cash a little money. cash yeah the yeah. cash cash fingers there he did the cash money for cash mueller and it was two nil and uh, orlando saw that out to the break and made it uh made it with the two goal advantage into the locker room and really you just knew that if the team came out and, and could defend for 15 minutes and kind of withstand with you know whatever philadelphia was going to do their adjustments you thought they had a pretty good chance uh, to hang on and get a result, and uh, you knew that at some point Philadelphia was going to come after them. And, and, you know, I honestly thought the second half was much less hectic than the first half. I thought that um, Philly did push some numbers forward late and get some, you know, some possession around the box that could have been dangerous, but it really seemed that Orlando took care of everything. They ended up uh, pulling Pino and Mueller and putting on Merrim and Coleman to help see out the remaining time. And, uh, you know, with only two, those two um, substitutions remaining after 
having to uh, put Igita on for Allen in the first half. It, it, it was both of them, again, good moves. Uh, Merrim is a good possession guy. He helped uh, quite a bit. In fact, uh, he almost uh, helped Dom Dwyer make it 3-0 with a great pass that uh, Dom somehow shot over the bar from the top of the six. Not really sure how he missed that one. Uh, I really thought that was going to make it 3 nothing. Well, since we know he scores when he wants, I guess he didn't want to score that he time. He must not have wanted to score. He must not have wanted to. But, no, you're right. The After that initial little spurt uh, to start the second half, they they were able to maintain their defensive form, see out the game, and play exactly how you would want a team with a two-goal lead to play. There were, they were confident. They... Uh, maintained possession when they needed to and defended well when they didn't have the ball. Absolutely. And I thought the, the team really did do well in the area where I thought the key matchup was, I, I believe that I said midfield against midfield. And yes, I, really, you did. I really thought that Bedoya and Madunian were not able to thread, you know, deadly passes through, uh, to the attack. And I thought that, um, so I think that the the Lions did a good job there. I also thought that Akam and um, um, you know uh, Fafa Pico oh, and, and uh, <laughs> Borak uh, Dachkal. I thought all three of them were more or less handled. I, I think they're all dangerous players, and you can't completely shut them down for 90 minutes. But I thought more or less the defensive midfield held their own against those three and, and, uh, and will also include the fullbacks in that as well. But I, I thought that the midfield won the game for Orlando city. Uh, so I, I, I definitely thought that that was a key matchup in the game. And I definitely thought that that young defensive line for the union was uh, something that Dom Dwyer could exploit. And he did that. And, uh, it was good to see that. And not only did, uh, did Dom do it, but Chris uh, Mueller also exploited that back lines in experience as well with uh, being able to not only lose the ball, but then just take it right back and, and just continue on and, and have that that hard work to uh, to not give up on the play. So two nil win in the end. Coming home with three points is awesome. And uh, now we will uh, look ahead to the San Jose Earthquakes this Saturday night. But Dave, who was your man of the match? This was probably the most difficult man-of-the-match selection of the year so far because the there were a lot of good performances that night. Like you said, Higita was good. Um, ben was good. Or Bendik was good. Um, Dom played well. You know, you love what Chris Mueller is doing, but uh, gosh. At the end of the day, I'm I'm going to give it to Higita for the reason that it was the performance we've wanted for him since he got here, and I want to reward him for that. You know, we've had games where where Joe's been you know on before, and uh, you know we've only seen so much of of Sane, but uh, I want to reward Higita for that that performance and, and hope that he's able to um, make that a habit rather than a one-off. So he's my man of the match. All right. Not a bad choice. Uh, for me, it came down to uh, Sané and Bendik and uh, Sané was really a tour de force in that game. And, and very quietly, you don't really notice him, but then you look at the stat sheet and you see 
all the clearances, the recoveries, and the interceptions and the blocked shots, and you go, wow, what a game this guy had. And, uh, and the, you know, add to that the fact that everything was sort of kept out wide and out above the penalty area. Just a, a really dominant performance, I think, by him. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, the, the, the other guy that I would have considered was Joe Bendick because early on in the game, he kept his team level uh, with some really big moments. And then once the, the team took the lead, he really preserved that with a couple more big saves at a time when – if Philadelphia had cut that lead to 2-1, they still had plenty of time, and, and then you know, then they would also have the momentum. So I really think that from a total impact on the game perspective, uh, Joe's big moments really lifted the team. And so, Joe Bendick, you get my man of the match this week. Hard to argue with any of that. Uh, like I said, there was so much positive. This was probably the best game we've seen from the Lions. I don't think there's any doubt about that, actually. Top to bottom, everybody played well, and it showed in the result. Yeah, it, you really didn't see many of the blazing, uh, fast counterattacks with odd man numbers in that game. You saw, you know, any... There really weren't that many critical midfield turnovers, and the ones that were there was plenty of coverage usually to force everything wide and having them have to cross the, the ball in a uh, com created a few things with his speed. But other than that, I, I definitely thought they, they, you know, they composed themselves well and, um, you know, definitely played uh, like a team. And I think this again is another step toward the development. They're not where they want to be yet. There's work to be done, but I think that we're starting to see, the tip of what this team can be the, 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 you know, we're scratching that surface of the potential of this team. And I, you know, again, you, you look at the performance, you know, I know a lot of people on the, the, on social media and in our forums have said, you know, if it wasn't Philadelphia, we would have lost because, you know, they, they have to be sad sacks and, and, and talk like that. But I think that <laughs> part of the reason that yes, Philadelphia's forwards are struggling to score goals. They're not very confident right now, but I also think that, you know, the team by and large made it difficult on them. It wasn't anything like they weren't they weren't missing from the six like Dom did. Let's put it that way. No, they certainly weren't. Uh, there were no easy chances for Philly, and you have to chalk that up to the defensive midfield and the back line, and also, of course, Joe back stopping them all. Yeah, I mean, the the best opportunity was probably a near post chance for a calm, but uh, you know that. There's not a lot of room there to score, and Joe took care of this near post, and uh, he did his job. So, um, you know, I think in any game, you're not going to get a clean sheet in Major League Soccer very often unless your keeper makes two or three big saves. And they got five saves total out of Joe, and I think three of them were pretty difficult ones, um, and he made them. So uh, he did what his team needed him to do. The defense did, you know, by and large what they need to do. Can they get better? Sure. Um but, uh, you know, again, it's it's good to see the progress and mm -hmm. uh, we will see how they carry on this week against uh, San Jose. Going so, for four in a row. Yep. We Now, we mentioned R.J. Allen's injury, Scott Sutter's injury. Both of them still out. Jonathan Spector also out uh, as of Tuesday training. None of them on the pitch, uh, but they are all listed as day to day. All of them are possible for the weekend, although Jason Christ said he's he's 
not optimistic about Spectre playing Saturday, but he's not ruling it out. It's just so difficult to tell with uh, concussion protocol. And, and I know that after losing Jonathan uh, so quickly after getting him back, they're going to be extremely careful about when they bring him back. So mm-hmm. it, it's, I guess it's a luxury when you have Sané and, and Tarek playing well, uh, mm-hmm. that you can have your captain take an extra week and, and uh, you know, and, and again, this is a, a concussion. So we don't know how long this, these kind of symptoms will linger and when he'll be able to get back on the field. So no need to rush um, him back. The right back situation is a little bit more concerning just because the, you know, you've got two capable starters that are both out and now you've got will johnson who has to kind of step into that role and it's good to know that he can but over the course of time those are the things that teams start to pick on you know you go into that Mm -hmm. game against philadelphia they've not game planned against attacking will johnson at right back Uh, san jose however they will be game planning for that so things are, are a little bit different the other thing that he can do he being jason christ is that he could play a uh, a left-footed player on the right side. He doesn't like doing that for obvious reasons, um, mainly because it's much harder to get crosses in. But it can be done, and it's been done on, on you know, on occasion by other other players. I know that Kevin Alston played both sides for Orlando City when he was here, and um, I think we've seen uh, also Bowden on the right side on one occasion. So you know, guys can do that, and you know, if they need to, they will. But um, you know. There's, uh, we'll see what we see on Saturday, but I, my, my guess is that Igita played so well that he'll try to go back to that. And we may even see, um, Rossell get some minutes late, uh, if things are, are well at hand, uh, you know, in that game. The good news is that the, is that the depth that they went out and got is there. We would have been in a lot bigger trouble two years ago. <laughs> Right. It's funny because early on in the season, all the attackers were out. Now all the defenders are starting to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Kleshen out with suspension. You had uh, Dom Dwyer out. You had uh, Pino hurt his ankle. You had, uh, uh, you know, Coleman out. So you had all these attacking pieces gone. And now you've got all the, de- the back line pieces are starting to break down. So it's never – you're never 100% healthy once you're in season. But hopefully the uh, – the injury bug will stop biting so that these guys can round into form and get everybody on the field, all the expected starters. But yeah, it's good to, it's good to have depth when, uh, when these kinds of things happen. Um, Dave, the Orlando pride played again. That they did. They played on Sunday in Portland, a rematch of the NWSL uh, semifinal from last year, which Portland won four to one. Uh, it did not go great for Orlando, but it started off okay. I mean, um, you know, Orlando took the lead on a Christine Nairn steal. Uh, she gets the podcast bump. Uh, yep. Steals steals the uh, the ball in the midfield. Feeds Chi Abogagu. Basically, just gives her the ball and says, uh, "All you got left to do is beat the keeper. Go do it." And Chi and did she that. Did. And made it one nil. And things looked like they might get a little bit better. Uh, I think about minute 26 when uh, a nice cross from Carson Pickett came in for Kristen Edmonds at the top of the box. She ripped one and uh, unfortunately hit the crossbar and just smacked off the crossbar. Completely beat Adriana French and it would have been 2-0. But instead, two minutes later, Lindsay Horan scores a golazo 
and makes it 1-1. And uh, eventually, uh, Christine Sinclair uh, left unmarked in the box, scored and made it 2-1. And Orlando uh, falls again to the Thorns. Have you know the Pride have never beaten the Thorns? Uh, they were much much better against the Thorns in this game. Of course, missing so very many pieces, including mm-hmm. uh, just a I mean, basically a World Cup team worth of midfielders were, you know, were missing in, the, yes. in that game. I mean, you're missing Marta, you're missing Camilla, you're missing Alana Kennedy, uh, Emily Van Agman, all of them very talented midfield players. And uh, really, to me, that's where the pride uh, lost the game. I thought that um, Christine Nairn actually had maybe her best game so far in a pride uniform. Uh, Danny Weatherholt was also very good. Uh, but there's still something missing, something not quite working right in that midfield. Kristen Edmonds um, played. It looked almost like a diamond midfield at times. It looked almost like a uh, a three-five-two at times with uh, mm-hmm. a ba- like with a back line of of Krieger was ostensibly the right back, but it really looked like a Krieger Zdorsky Presley uh, mm-hmm. back line with sort of wing back play from Edmonds. And uh, and Carson Pickett and Carson Pickett had a tough game. She was getting roasted by Margaret Purse all game long, uh, just getting turned inside out. She she did cross the ball well the few times she was able to get up the field, uh, but she really struggled defensively in that game. And, um, you know, the, it it really was a matter of when I say the midfield struggled, it, it was, there was no service to Sidney LaRue and Alex Morgan. They really didn't get scoring chances. They were not um, necessarily marked out of the game so much as that there was just no, uh, no creativity, no production, no quality to get them the ball. And um, the team got a little stretched. There was a, there was a gap between the midfield and the forward line. And then she started to drop into that area and get on the ball. But whenever she did get on the ball, Dave, she would, she dribbled into blind alleys. She would not pick out the right pass. She'd have two options, and she'd pick the one that was covered and try to put the ball through a defender who was directly in her line of sight. It was a very frustrating game to watch for me because she is a player that's capable of much more, and she really was in enough positions in that game to to have just a major impact on the game, but mm-hmm. just didn't make the most of her opportunities, in my opinion. Correct. It was frustrating to watch indeed like you said, with no chances being created out of the midfield for your strikers, it was telling how little Alex Morgan was mentioned during the match, mm-hmm. which was almost never. Uh, if she's, you know, she's a striker. If the ball is not getting up there to her to do something with, then you're not going to hear anything. So that that spoke to me of the the trouble that the team was having. But like you said, with so many players out on international duty, we're looking at a a bit of a partial team here, just like we did with the Lions, you know, when they had so many out on injury. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's anything to worry about as far as the season goes. We will get those players back. Additionally, despite the struggles, like you said, we did play better against them this time. Instead of 4-1, it was 2-1, so that's progress. And you got a lot of players getting some time on the ball, on the field, Mm -hmm. and getting that experience. So I'm trying to keep the positive in mind. 
I would have liked to have had it open up a little bit. Like you said, maybe Chi is able to do a little bit more, pick some better passes and create some opportunities. But it, at the end of the day, it is what it was. I think that the team will rebound and Alex will get back on the, uh, the scoring side again pretty soon. Well, that would be great. The, uh, that should hopefully happen this Sunday at home against the Houston dash. Um, the, uh, one of the, one of the key things for me in this, uh, this past game, the NWSL debut of Abby Alinsky. She got on the field and she actually, uh, looked very good defensively. Wasn't doing mm-hmm. too great passing the ball, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, a heck of a situation to come into your first game ever. You're down on the road in a very heavy rain and, uh, tough field conditions playing against a bunch of players that you've been watching play for the national team. Um, you know, players like Sonnet and Haran have been, uh, have been on the, the national team and it's, uh, you know, it had to be just a heck of a, a, a an adrenaline moment for Abby Alinsky, young Abby Alinsky, uh, Danica Evans. we got to see her flip throw. That was good. And, uh, so it's always nice to see that. And, um, you know, I think you're right. I think they're going to come in and, uh, have a much better outing at home against the, Houston Dash be there at Orlando City Stadium five o'clock on Sunday and cheer on your pride. Speaking of the pride, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, Sydney Larue had a little dust up today with <laughs> Mer- Merritt Paulson, the owner of the uh, Portland Thorns and Portland Timbers. Um, a lot of people don't realize this goes back and actually actually a week. Uh, to when uh, Merritt Paulson was very critical of the officiating, accusing Dom Dwyer of diving uh, to earn the penalty to uh, that, that to which Sasha Kleshin eventually tied the game and then Dom eventually won the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sydney did make some remarks back to Merritt Paulson on Twitter about, uh, you know, about his remarks about the, you know, basically about his salt, the salt that he was pouring all over the sidewalk there uh, in Portland. And, um, this week, then, you know, as luck would have it, the the uh, Thorns host the Pride, and uh, she goes up there, and she was not permitted to bring Cassius onto the pitch after the game, as she's accustomed to doing. Uh, she definitely, uh, I don't know that she handled it great by sort of accusing Merritt Paulson of, uh, of instituting a... Um, a new policy. Uh, the thorns denied that that is a new policy. The thorns said that, you know, only thorns and timbers, uh, families allowed on the field after the game for reasons, I guess. Um, but, uh, she didn't take kindly to it. And then Merritt Paulson acted like a big, uh, big child on the, uh, you know, on social media and, uh, called her out. And it was just not, it was just not good. It was not a good look on his part. It was not a good look, on anybody's part, but especially, you know, it, it was a bad look when he said maybe, you know, you shouldn't uh, kick up conspiracy theories and uh, just uh, concentrate on playing. It was basically, to me, came off as a privileged white rich male telling a woman of color, shut up and play. And that it, is not a good look at all. It absolutely came across as that. And to do it, to in in relation to her as a mother, which is what her complaint was, was hey, get my I want my kid to be able to come out here after the game. He runs around, has fun. It's cool for him to see that. Yeah. Well, 
for him to call her out on that. Like you said, not only is it the privileged white thing, but man, to a mom? Yeah, it, you know, if you've ever had a child that age in a place where they can see their parent, it is not an easy task to keep that child from getting to that parent at some point. No, um, it is that not. That kid wants to be with that parent. And so I'm sure that Cassius is uh, is now used to the fact that for, you know, 90 minutes, that's not a, that's that's off limits. Uh, but, you know, you're you it's really difficult for these NWSL players to to really ply their trade Dave when they've got this unique you know life role that men don't have and and it's you know kudos to the team for being accommodating and letting uh, letting the kids travel uh, with the team yeah. and that kind of thing but you know I, I think it's such a minor thing to allow him on the field and, and, and honestly Dave I think if she just goes and gets him and brings him on the field no one's going to kick him out no one's going to say anything um, what are they going to do kick Sidney LaRue out of the stadium it's the game's right. over anyway um, so honestly she probably could have just done it even if she was said if they, even if they told her no she could have just said you know what I'm doing it you know and probably yeah. some you know people would have walked away grumbling but uh you know, would have would have put up with it, but it, this was just not a good look on anybody's part. And it's, you know, I don't think Paulson created this policy just because of the dust up they had the week before. Um, so he has a point in that situation, but he definitely reacted very poorly, and it's just a bad look for him. It's bad look for the league. It's it's. This is a franchise that's one of the keystone franchises for the NWSL. Cause Portland Thorns, you know, leading the league in attendance. They, they're the defending champions. You can't have your owner running his mouth like this. And, and I fully anticipate some kind of fine. He, he just got fined for his remarks about uh, the officiating in the Orlando City game. So Merritt Paulson, not a big fan of purple. Not a, not a good week for Paulson. He went about a lot of things wrong social media will get you in trouble especially if you're an owner of a team or a coach of a team or a player of a team i i don't have a problem with almost anybody saying anything they want about that uh it's kind of a free speech thing yeah however free speech does not mean freedom from consequences sure. and the consequences this time were the fine initially and then whatever bad publicity is going to come from getting into a tiff with Sidney LaRue and you're talking about one of the you know beloved US women's national team players and her incredibly cute little boy you're going to lose that public relations battle yeah there's there's just no there's no sense even escalating it and uh, yeah somebody as we are often saying on Twitter uh, delete your account. Uh, that's just not. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, you know the thing is, Merritt Paulson and uh, and Sydney Larue could just like join a fight club and just handle this, and then of course Sydney would would just destroy him, and then everybody yeah. would remember him by saying his name was Merritt Paulson. His name was Merritt <laughs> Paulson. And, yes, Larue would absolutely uh, destroy him. I, I wouldn't want to go up against her, that's for sure. That was uh, just a shout-out to all of you who have watched uh, Fight Club and know what I was referencing there. Yes. 
Uh, okay, Dave, so I think it's time to get to this week's guest. We've talked about him a little earlier in the program. Very, very pleased to have with us a, uh, a mainstay for Orlando City over the over the past few years. Not one of a, only a very few of those as we've uh, seen mm-hmm. great turnover. So why don't we get to our guest? Uh, we'll do that right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, we are very pleased to have with us Orlando City goalkeeper Joe Bendick. Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. So I wanted to start out by, uh, first of all, congratulations on the clean sheet on uh, on Friday. Obviously a, a team effort. But my question uh, f- about the game is that t- to my um, to my untrained eye, let's say, um, it looked like the team in front of you did a pretty good job of limiting Philadelphia's chances to the angles and not letting anything come right up the middle on you. Is, is that the way you saw it, first of all? And if so, uh, how much easier does that make your job as a goalkeeper? Yeah, uh, Friday especially. The guys did a great job. Um, <clears throat> they were really committed to getting that clean sheet. Uh, and it's just like you said, that they... Uh, you know, they, they forced some guys into some some wide angles, didn't really allow too much. Um, I think we let David Akam in one, maybe one or two times, and Bedoya had a shot just outside the 18, but um, one one cross slipped through. But, yeah, uh, in total, when they, when they get them onto the angles like that, you know that you, your percentages of making a save have just gotten a lot higher, so. Uh, it definitely makes things easier for a goalkeeper. Well, I'm sure you do appreciate that. Now, of course, there are um, you know plenty of new uh, uh, guys in front of you there. Um, how is that? Uh, you know, building that chemistry. Um, obviously, you know, working with them uh, and then having that backline shuffle, which. I guess you're kind of used to from last year, but uh, tell us about um, what that's been like so far this season. Yeah, I think it's a really positive thing. Um, you know, we've we shuffled through three, what, three sets of, uh, of set, um, center-back pairings. And I think, you know, if you look around the league and you look around, you go back to last year's and the past years of, of teams that play, no team's ever going to have the two same center-backs or three same center backs that they play like that um, throughout the entire year. You need guys to come in you need guys to play. And I think it's only a positive thing that we've gone, you know, we've, we've gotten to see so many different players early this year because for them, that gives them a big, you know, boost of confidence. And for us, for the team, we know that we can rely on every single guy. I mean, we've, we've come back to win in three games now. And if I'm not mistaken uh, in my time, that's never happened before at this club. I don't think we've ever come behind to win any games, um, you know. And and we're we're starting to see an upward trend here with the with the defensive um, defensive backs and and you know getting that shutout in Philly is a, is a showing of the work that they're putting in and the the time that we're putting in as a unit to to kind of get things going here. Um, you know, and just like I said, it's a, it's only a positive thing. 
Joe, when you have so many new faces come in, like, you know, Mo and RJ and uh, Amro Tarek and, and uh, Sané, how long does it take to get the, the communication down between uh, yourself in, in the net and, uh, and that back line? Yeah, it's an it's an ongoing it's an ongoing piece of work. Um, you know, you you start in preseason and you you talk on the field, you talk off the field, you talk in the locker room, you know, you talk in the treatment room, you talk in the gym, and and you just try to you just try to figure out how guys um, react to different situations, how guys react to um, different forms of communication. Um, you know, and you learn that at the to the best of your ability, and then you know you, you hope that all your communication is kind of put in during training, and then because in the game it's extremely difficult to hear mm-hmm. one another, so it's almost like you're you're hearing that person's voice in the back of your head, and in the game you can't really hear it. You're just kind of you're hearing it from training. So um, a, a time frame, you know. I'm not sure. I think it varies for per relationship. Um, but like I said, right now we're starting to see a, a good upward trend. Now, Joe, uh, of course, you know, Dom returned to the lineup and since he's been back, he's been on a bit of a, a scoring terror along with, uh, uh, Chris Mueller. Um, how has, uh, the, the uptick in the offense, um, helped you guys on the other end of the pitch? Yeah, um, you know it's that if you if, if you've got a powerful offense, you it makes it a lot easier to defend because you're not having to defend for ninety plus minutes. You're only having to defend for uh, you know sixty minutes or you know maybe thirty minutes. I don't I don't you know not, I don't know the exact time. You you don't have to constantly be under pressure the entire time you're keeping the ball and it's a more positive uh, mindset where you're you know you're finding the strikers that are kind of just lurking ready to get the ball and their outlets for the other team and you're just making uh, a proactive defensive you know motion or tackle and then you're keeping the ball again and then you know that that gives you life when you have to defend for long stretches and you know, if you score, if you score the first and second goal, if you, you uh, score the first goal and you're defending for the last 30 minutes of a game, which happens a lot, you know, you um, you have a lot of life for those last 30 minutes, and you're you're ready, you're ready to go. You know, Dave brought up Chris Mueller, and we we had him on the podcast. We also had Cam Lindley on here, and some of the other guys we've talked to, the some of the newer guys, have all mentioned you as being a positive leadership influence on the entire group, how important is it to you as a veteran player to take on that role and, and, and kind of get outside your comfort zone and, and be that leader? Yeah. Um, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because they say like goalkeepers are leaders of themselves just because they wear a different Jersey, but I don't, I don't really buy it. Um, I think it is something that you have to, you really have to try at, you know, every single day. Um, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the best leader in the world, but I've, I care enough about this club and about this city that I, I can take it personally. Um, 
you know, I've, I've been here, this is my third year and we haven't made the playoffs in two years. And, um, after getting a taste of the playoffs when I was in Toronto, I, I really want it back. And I know there are certain, I wouldn't even say certain. I know that all the players here, uh, can help us to contribute towards that. And, you know, just some of the younger guys, they, they need a little bit of direction. And I, I don't think it's just me as a leader. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team that have played, uh, whether or not it's in the MLS, but they've played a lot of games. And so if they can just get the right communication and the right kind of direction, um, I think we see we see some really positive results. And, you know, Cam starting, starting the season off for us, that was that was big for him to, to play some minutes. And then, you know, Chris coming in now and scoring some big goals for us is huge. Cause I, I mean, him and Dom, I think are extremely dangerous. And then you've got stuff, Stefano who's just as, just as dangerous. So, you know, and you, you're not even talking about your two starters with Coleman and, and Miriam. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's awesome to see. And they get a lot of leadership through those, through those attacking, attacking guys as well. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, your love for the city. Um, obviously, you've had uh, plenty of time in that in front of the wall. Uh, what's, from your point of view, what's it like when the wall's behind you versus when you're on the other side of the field? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because when I warm up, I'm, I'm always by the wall. Um, it's kind of through the years it's been a it's been a, a huge motivation for me uh you know i got i i remember we were playing we were playing red bull and i had a guy off and like down in the lower bowl in the handicap section in a wheelchair and he's just he's screaming my name and he's, and then i turn to him and i look at him because you know anybody screams your name that enough gets your attention and he's just Hey, kick some ass, you know, <laughs> you, know I, you know, break a smile, but it's just like, you get that from every, you can feel that kind of energy from every single person in the stadium. Um, you know, when you, when they're behind you, it's a, it's, it's like somebody's got your back. Um, and then when you're kind of facing them, it's like you want to give them everything. Um, so I, I enjoy both sides of it, honestly. Joe, you've, you know, in the course of a goalkeeper's career, you make hundreds, thousands of saves over the course of your career. But one of our one of our staff uh, writers wanted to know this question. Is there one save that you point to and say, that's the best save I ever made or that's that one really stands out to me? Uh, it was definitely memorable ones. Um, you know, I think there's. I think each goalkeeper has has a set of traits and has some things that they're really, really good at, really comfortable with. Um, for me, for me, you know, I, I really want to put it down to any one save. It's just the the saves and big moments are the are the best for me. You know, ones that ones that come late in games, ones that are they can be they can be in the first first minute of the game and you make a save and all of a sudden you know the guys in front of you kind of wake up a little bit and then they go out and I think Dallas last year I made one save early in the game and to the 
to the supporters to to anybody else like it doesn't doesn't really look like much you know it's just like a, a near post save and kind of like squirt it out of bounds but it, I, you know you could feel like it it lifts the team it lifts me even you know it gives me a little bit of confidence to go to go for the rest of the game and then they went out and scored you know, four goals it wasn't Dallas I think it was New England and and we ended up winning like six to one or something mm-hmm. like that yep New England um, game. so yeah just those, those big moments um and I, I like, I like that this year, um, those saves are coming, they're coming while we're winning rather than while we're tied. And I, I go back <laughs> on it again. The last, the last few years, this team is, I, I honestly, I don't think they've, we've ever come from behind to win a game. Um, we've come from behind to tie games late and and it's been and it's been good it's a good show of character but uh this team now has this three wins when we're down um and so for me the the best saves have been you know this year uh while we're up and we're winning and and we keep that lead and and we stay on top of teams uh, and we get that result now, obviously, you spend a, a lot of time, uh, plenty of minutes on the field. Um, it's it's rare that we uh, see anybody between the sticks other than you. But um, tell us about the guys that are behind you, uh, you know, the backups, and um, you know how they're coming along, and and you know what we don't get to see. Yeah, so we've had, you know, we got we got Earl Edwards, um, Adam Grimwis, and. Mason, I can't even still can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> Neither can we. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think he's told me, but I I can't do it. Um, but these are guys that are all, you know, when we go into training, they are they are very very eager to learn. Um, I can't, you know, I know that that uh, on paper, you know, Earl is the the number two, and he's it goes three and four and Earl got some, some minutes last year, right at the end there. And, um, those are, those are huge minutes. Even though it's just one game for him, I think he learned more in that one game than he did in the entire time that he was in Orlando. Um, you know, it's, it's just that, that real moment of this is what it's like to play in a game. And now he has that, he has that, like that edge about him and he's really pushing, you know, he's really pushing to get better and he's really pushing me to, you know, to, to be on top of my game. And I, I can, I can see it in him now that you know, he really wants to learn. He really wants to get better as a goalkeeper. Um, and then you got a guy like Adam who's, who's just coming in to MLS squad and, you know, he's, He's just every, he's the energy ball, you know, he's always talking and he's always, he's jumping around and, um, he's got, he's got a lot of, a lot of good qualities and, you know, he's also very eager to learn. And then Mason, um, Mason's young and, uh, I just, I can't speak more about him. He's a, he's a case study in himself. Um, before, you know, before he was diagnosed with cancer, he was like, I, I, I 
extremely confident individual. And when I hear, when I, he doesn't talk a lot during training, but when I hear a good job from Mason, I know his standard is so high that I've done a really good job. And I think it's, I think it's important for each goalkeeper, you know, to, to see those compliments from each other. Um, and for Mason, you know, his, his ceiling is, is really, is really high because he's getting to learn from, learn from three good goalkeepers. And he's had a couple of different goalkeeper coaches now while he's at Orlando. Uh, his work ethic is just, is incredible. He's in the gym from 6.30 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. and eats, sleeps, breathes, goalkeeping. I mean, he's a, he's awesome. I can't wait to see once he, once he kind of grows up a little bit and really, and really shows what he's got. Well, Joe, before we let you go, um, something I haven't seen from this coaching staff in a couple of years that we're seeing this year, it just seems like the coaching staff is more – they seem more confident. They seem happier. They seem more content with the way the team is coming together, even when the team wasn't getting results. And my question for you is, is, is does this year's squad, are you seeing in practice and on the field different chemistry, different energy than in the past couple of years? Um, yeah, I think, I think the, 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 overall level of players that we have in the squad is 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 high um when i say that i mean there's not a huge gap between you know the 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 first guy that would play and the last guy that would play it's it's very it's very much more level so everybody can understand each other a little bit better i think um you know the coaching staff has now had now had almost two years to to implement what they what they want and what works and what doesn't. I mean, you've seen us go from a from a four four two, you know, with a diamond to a four two three one, back to a, a diamond, and then now to a four two three one. You know, we're we are we're learning things about each other and about our team, about our coaching staff, about individuals um, every day in training and every day on the field and, you know, what makes us the best team altogether. So, so yeah, in a way, you know, the chemistry has, has just been building and we've added players who can come in and add to that chemistry and add to that kind of togetherness of the team. Well, Joe Bendick, it has been a real treat to have you on the podcast. We wish you the best of luck throughout the rest of the season. And uh, just thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Once again, big thank you to Joe Bendick for being our guest on podcast number 121. can't believe it's been 121 episodes and we're just now getting joe on the show but uh thanks to rafa cabrera for setting that up from the orlando communications department orlando city communications uh department dave i'm sitting here in my orlando city sea cows shirt as we record this and uh i am thinking that that was a a huge huge interview for us uh getting joe i 
was when you texted me earlier that we were going to have Joe on, I, I think my exact term was sweet. <laughs> so I was looking forward to, uh, to talking to him. I think that was indeed a big get and he was absolutely fantastic. I, I thought that was, you know, we obviously, we do a lot of interviews and, and that one was hands down one of the better ones that we've had. I thought, I thought he was great and insightful and I really appreciate him coming on and, and being with us. Same. And uh, in case you didn't get the tie-in there, uh, the sea cows and the huge interview. Sea cows are huge. So that's where that tie-in was. So that, that didn't just like go nowhere. That actually had a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it, not a great purpose. I'm not gonna. No. I'm not gonna claim that one as uh, as an all-star. Uh, you know, all-timer. Let's keep that. Let's put that on the best is, of the. Is that going in the archives? It's not going the on the best of the mainland. Yeah, no, the best of the mainland. <laughs> Uh, show that's not going to be uh, that's not going to be okay. it, but, um, but yeah that was that's that's a that's a really it, short show anyway yeah, it it had a purpose that's all I'm saying <laughs> might not have been a good one but it had a purpose all right okay. um so let's get to this week's ask the mainland podcast anything which will be very short because uh, we only got one question this week but here's how you do that you can hit us up on Twitter uh, we our Twitter handle of course is at the mainland. And uh, the at is the at symbol. It's not the word at. So if you've been trying like crazy to get us and failing and you've been spelling out the word at, that's probably why. (laughs) That might be why. Yeah. So it's the at symbol, the mainland. That is our Twitter account. Uh, If you put in a tweet to that account and you use the hashtag, hashtag AskTMLPC, uh, and then ask your question. Uh, we will read it on the air and we'll answer it. It doesn't have to be about soccer. It can be about anything. Uh, we will answer any question you may have. Um, and we will give you as good an answer as we can give you. We might not know, for example, when uh, you know the, the deadline is for filing tax extensions and things like that. We may not know that, but we're going to still give you an answer either way. Well... I think by the time this drops, if you are asking that question, you're probably in trouble, actually. Yeah, just go ahead and move <laughs> out of the country <laughs> to a non-extradition nation. Um, wow. Yeah, but, I mean, keep listening to the podcast, though. Oh, well, sure, that's international. <laughs> We're international. That's right. Um, so the other way you can do that is you can write to us at the mainland. Uh, we are at themainland at gmail.com. That is how you uh, can write to us. And, uh, of course, Maine is spelled like a lion's mane. And, uh, you know, we'll get it on the email and we'll we'll read it that way. Actually, we just got another question in. That's pretty cool. All right. All right. So, uh, Dave, what is our friend Mark Johnson? Would, what would he like to know this week? Friend of the show, Mark Johnson, with very timely, at least while we're recording this question, if Toronto wins the Champions League, he's talking about the CONCACAF Champions League, does it significantly improve the standing of MLS? Uh, my answer is that it doesn't significantly uh, improve the standard of, uh, of MLS, but I do think it shows the growth of the league overall and uh, and how competitive the league is becoming. That is my short and sweet answer, Mark Johnson. I agree. I don't think it significantly improves the standing of MLS, especially since I think Toronto maybe is taking this a little bit more serious than some of the MLS squads have in the past. Oftentimes, they've been more worried about the regular season and have maybe tried out new guys or rested some of the 
the stalwarts of their team and and not giving it as much merit. Um, so I'm I'm glad that Toronto is trying to win it. I hope they do. I mean, uh, I'm an MLS fan. I want us to win it. But like you, I don't think it will significantly do anything, but it will still be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a question on Twitter. This actually literally just came in. Uh, Rich Ransom wants to know, it's it's super early, but who do you think will coach OCB in 2019? Assuming, of course, as we are, that uh, that what Nikki Budalic has said will happen and it will come back as a Division Three uh, USL Division Three team in 2019. Who do you think, Dave? Wow. Okay. Uh, I have given this no thought whatsoever. <laughs> well, then it's kind of like any of the other questions we get. Well, that's. I guess that's that's true. Uh, but this wasn't even on my radar. Ah, jeez. Um, it's a great question. It's a fantastic question. I don't know if I've got an answer for it, though. Um, uh, I'm going to defer to you if you've got any thoughts on, on who you think's on the radar. I'll take a shot at it. I think that there's a, a few um, potential candidates. Um, I think that Bobby Murphy is a guy that they might want to look at. He's a, always okay. been a development guy, and this will be a development team, and he's had some experience uh, not only uh, in the youth ranks but also – uh, was the interim coach for Orlando City in MLS. So he's a, a, certainly a, True. a, a potential uh, guy they might want to do that. Um, maybe a, a former player like Lewis Neal would want to step into that role, uh, or Luke Bowden, somebody like that. Uh, those are guys who might gain some consideration, you know, uh, if they're interested in coaching and, 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 you know, apply for the job and that kind of thing. Um you know, it's it's very difficult to say. There's a lot of really good coaches that have come through uh, Orlando City's system, but now they're in higher positions. You have guys like James O'Connor is is coaching Division Two and may soon get an MLS gig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, and then there's uh, you know the staff that have gone on to to coach at at uh, San Antonio and that kind of thing. So there's there's been some potential guys that you would think maybe those guys have a shot at that, but. Um, you know, they've already moved beyond the division three. So yeah, I think a guy like Lewis Neal is maybe somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience would be somebody you would look at in that situation. Uh, maybe Jason Christ has somebody in mind that, you know, is somebody that is like-minded to how he is. And, and mm-hmm. maybe he'll bring that person in. It's kind of hard to say. I, I, I'm just throwing some names out there, obviously, but I, I think that if you're looking for any ties to Orlando, you might be looking at, at uh, a Luke Bowden, a, a Lewis Neal, a Bobby Murphy, um, maybe potentially uh, a Jordani Alvarez or somebody like that. Um, but uh, it, it's it would be interesting to see maybe even uh, – um, oh, jeez, I don't know. I, I mean that's kind of where my headspace is at. I, I, again, you, like you said, it's something you've given no thought to, and these are all – things I'm just riffing off the, off the top of my head because this question, like I said, just came in before I asked it. Well, and if uh, Jason has anything to do with the selection, it'll be somebody we've never heard of. That's probably true. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, it's uh, it will be interesting. Uh, that I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting OCB back and, yes. uh, and getting those kids uh, some playing time. It's like, you know, we've seen nothing of Pierre de Silva this year and he's got nowhere to play right now. So it's, you know, while he's been a valuable, um, practice player for Orlando city, it's, you know, 
not sure this is doing his uh, his development any good right now. No, it was a lot better being able to watch him on OCB and and see uh, at least give him a chance to continue that type of development in in game time is invaluable, even if it's at a lower level. Yeah, you know another guy who just came to mind is is coaching uh, Orlando City youth right now is Seb Hines. If he wants to be oh. a coach, he's another guy who might uh, he's got a good mind for for the game. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Um, so that's a great question, Rich. Thanks uh, for asking that one. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting OCB back and, uh, and watching the development of the young players in Orlando city's system. And, uh, it should be fun. So, so thank you for, uh, the two of you who have asked, uh, mainland podcast, ask the mainland podcast, anything, uh, you can again do that by, uh, emailing us the uh the mainland at gmail.com or hitting us up on twitter at at the mainland with the hashtag ask tmlpc so that's how you do it and that's our ask the mainland podcast for this week dave we got a game coming up saturday night yes we do the orlando orlando city is going to be playing the san jose earthquakes in a fixture that no team has ever won uh. oh Oh, and three in the series <laughs> since these two teams have started playing in MLS. Uh, crazy last. It's the funny thing is Orlando City has led all three meetings, and all three have ended up in draws. Two of those have been tied by Chris Wondolowski. Two of them have been tied in the final ten minutes of the game. So, and, and one of them very memorably. The uh, the Pulse tribute game right after the Pulse oh, shooting yeah. uh, when the stoppage time went beyond the announced stoppage time and uh, Shea Salinas broke Orlando Hearts with that really, really late goal. And um, that in, was ridiculous a game that the team really wanted with all of their hearts and souls. Uh, so it's been a, a very hard fought uh, series, but nobody's been able to gain the upper hand. What do you think is going to be the key matchup, and uh, what is your final score prediction for Saturday night at Orlando City Stadium? So, key matchup is going to be that uh, that right back side. Uh, you know, they're going to have. I when you were talking about Wondolowski, I was. Uh, the Seinfeld was going through my head, uh, <laughs> and, and Newman, and I'm like Wando, you know. Uh, so I, I think they've they've broken our hearts so many times uh, with late goals, and of course you could get tired at the end of that. And the depth on that uh, side and and in the back is not as as good as we would like it. So I think how we how we defend is going to be key. I think we can get goals on the other side. I think confidence is high there, but if we want to get the win, uh, it's it's going to have to it's going to have to fall to the defense that being said i think this team is feeling pretty good right now they're coming home i'm going to i'm going to predict a 2-1 orlando win all right that is uh that's cool that's cool uh i agree that the the to me the key matchup is the back line against the attack of san jose san jose's been a team that's actually been able to find some offense this season um, they are, I believe, are coming off a 2-2 draw themselves. 
uh, this week. But they are a team that they, they just look like they have some good attacking pieces, maybe a little bit loose in the back. And Orlando is going to need, uh, Dave, I believe, to really prove that what they did at Philadelphia – uh, wasn't a fluke, number one. And number two, that they can actually even improve upon that defensive uh, performance. Mm-hmm. That that's uh, a very important thing for Orlando to establish now uh, that they've been able to keep a clean sheet is can you, what can you, you know, can you do that again? Can you have that kind of a, of a defensive uh, sure. you know, performance again? And, and San Jose comes in, they're not, um, you know, they're 10th in the West, only five points. Um They've, they've scored nine goals, but it seems like they when they do score them, they score a couple at a time. So, you know, this is a, a team that, for whatever reason, Orlando City has stumbled against. And I think it's important to keep Wando off the board and, um, you know, just uh, try to to keep that defensive mojo going, especially with Spectre out and with uh, potentially Sutter and Allen both out still. Uh, for another week, I think we can pretty much guarantee Sutter, uh, Allen being out if that was indeed a hamstring or a quad. Mm-hmm. Uh, not likely to practice all week. Don't know the severity of Sutter's. Don't know if he'll be back. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly a not the easiest uh, uh, situation, especially like I said, when a team has had a week to game plan for it. It's not like it's not like Philadelphia who came in and said, you know, we don't have to. We're we're thinking about Sutter or Allen. We're not. They, you know, Will Johnson at right back, they weren't even thinking about that. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, they've got, I mean, they got some players. I mean, Quincy Ameriqua and, and um, you know, uh, we talked about Wando. He's a, he's a dangerous, dangerous player in this league, no matter what he does in international competition. And Shea know, Salinas. Doesn't miss those gimmies in MLS the way he does for the U.S. Um, you know, uh They've got some good players in midfield, like Godoy. Um, they've got, uh, you know, um, Danny Hoyson, good player. Mm-hmm. Um, these and, and Yamir uh, Hika, I think is how his name's spelled. He he really played well against Orlando City last year. Right. And you know they've got a long range threat with you know on set pieces with Florian Youngworth. So you know that's this is a team that can create problems and can score goals and. Um, you know, they came here the last time they came across the country. They scored two against Orlando City. But I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say that this team does a little better this time. But until one of these teams wins one of these, I'm going to call it a draw. It's going to be one one. One one. OK. <laughs> uh, well, the good news is we didn't predict the same thing. Yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know if that's good or bad because it doesn't. It seems like no matter what we do, it doesn't. It's wrong. So. You, yeah. can, you can you can bet that it won't be two one or one one. Yeah, that's that's probably a safe bet. But I mean, I'm I'm I mean, a really optimistic me would say three one Orlando. That's that's if I were being really optimistic. But I did, I'd agree with that optimistic. That's if because I thought about that too. So that the, would have been my optimistic. The main thing prediction. for me though is that you know this is a team that hasn't quite come together yet. They're still they're missing some pieces, and. It's getting that consistency. Can they keep that consistency going? Especially, you know, you know. Granted, it's only three in a row, but that 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 does sort of become a thing when you start a streak. That does sort of 
become a thing. And I, and I don't know if it will, how it will affect them. I mean, it's a veteran team, so it's kind of hard to say. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. It's a mixture of veterans and young players, but I think there are enough. I was going to say, Chris Mueller would disagree yeah. with you there. I think there are enough veterans on this team that I don't think it should affect them, but you never know. I mean, it, it, it remains to be seen how this team will play when they're expected to win, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. they were not expected to beat the Red Bulls. They were not expected to go on the road and win. They've done those two things. And now teams are, go- or, you know, pundits are going to start picking them to win. And they're going to be started to be expected to win these games. And that can have an effect on your mindset. So I'm, I'm not saying this team shouldn't win the game. They should. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm just going to predict 1-1 just because that's... That's kind of how I roll. It's like this this series <laughs> just seems to be destined to always finish in a draw, just like the majority of the New England games uh, seem destined to, to be, uh, you know, two two. This is this is uh, <laughs> this is another thing with San Jose. It's probably a very smart pick on your part, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe I'm just hedging my bets. I don't know. Maybe I'm being. Maybe I'm just copping out. Maybe it's a cop-out. I don't know. But, uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We, we won't see our good friend uh, Darwin Saren because he's moved on to the Houston Dynamo. But um, we will we will enjoy this matchup on Saturday night. Uh, it should be mm-hmm. an exciting one. And uh, certainly, you know, one of the one of the great goal scorers in MLS history has come into to Orlando City to play against the, the Lions. And um, it would be really great. I know I've said this before. It would be really great if Justin Merrim could get on the scoreboard. Uh, absolutely. It's about time. Uh, not. I think Chris is still going to try and, and, you know, make it three for three here. But uh, uh, And if he does, great. But I agree. Uh, it would be great if uh, we could get Merrim in there and uh, have it be an assist from – from Sasha just to uh, to keep that that particular thing rolling along. Yeah, but however it happens, we will be back next week to talk about it and to dissect it. We will be back to talk about the Pride and the Houston Dash and uh, any and all upcoming business. Uh, of course, Orlando City will be uh, going back on the road and uh, the Pride will be playing uh, again. And so there's there's lots and lots and lots of stuff uh, that we'll ha- be back to discuss next week. So. Uh, why don't we call it uh, an end to episode number 121 and uh, put this in the books. And uh, please, uh, if you uh, if you like to read about Orlando City, come to themainland.com and read all our stuff. Uh, we'll have complete game coverage of both the men's and women's teams, as we always do. Uh, like us on uh, Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And, uh, of course, recommend our podcast to your friends, there's no new uh, five-star reviews this week on iTunes, Dave, so I don't have to read any further uh, stuff on the air. But we want to. We do. We do. Because this week, I actually, my voice made it to the end. So <laughs> I could have actually done it. But so, so, so go ahead and put one in this week, because by next week, he should be back to 100%. Yeah, leave a five-star review and write, you know, write out a review. Don't just put, you know, just, don't just click on five stars and be done with it. Uh, write us a review and we'll... We'll read that sucker on the air and uh, give you full full credit for for your uh, creative writing. Because <laughs> that's what we and, and he is the uh, he is the editor, so that is what he does. Is <laughs> that's what he does for me and the rest of the staff. So get in on it; it's really nice. All right. Well, that will do it. Uh, on behalf of David Rowe, I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of the Mainland.com, signing off. 
the way I always do by saying go city and go pride.